You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of a series called Rooted in Christ by Pastor Daniel White. Now let's prepare our hearts as Pastor White brings forth God's truth from His Word today. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Timothy. We were in 1 Timothy last week. We'll be there again today. want to speak to you this morning on the influence of a godly life. The influence of a godly life. Last week I preached from chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, and in that chapter we saw what a godly life is and how a godly life is achieved. As we learned in last week's message, a godly life is a Christ-centered life. It's a life of full surrender and commitment to the Lord Jesus. It is a life of godliness. It's a life of sanctification, as, as was just sung in that beautiful song. It's a life lived in holiness. As you commit yourself to that kind of life, you have no idea the impact and influence your life will have upon others. I'd like you to look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Follow along as I read verse 11 through verse 13. The influence of a godly life. Paul says to Timothy, these things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth. Timothy was somewhere in his late teens or very early 20s when Paul wrote this epistle to him. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example. Have a godly influence on others. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in the way you live out your life, in charity or in your love, in your spirit or attitude, in faith and in purity. Till I come, Timothy, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word as we look today at the influence of a godly life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As believers in Christ, I know that we all know that our ultimate example of how we should live our lives is who? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, For hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an what? example, say it with me, that we should follow in his Steps. I'll never forget when I was a little boy and my father used to take me out rabbit hunting in the UP. Sometimes we would use snowshoes because the snow would be so deep. And up there we didn't have cottontail rabbits. We had snowshoe rabbits and they turn white in the wintertime. And it's quite a challenge to hunt them when the snow is all on. But my dad would take me. That's how he got me into hunting. We would go out. I would remember as a little boy trying to step in my father's steps as he treaded through the snow as we were rabbit hunting. 
Christ has left us an example that we should what? Follow in his steps. I want to ask you a question this morning. Who is a Christian? Who is a Christian? How many of you would raise your hand right now and say, I'm not ashamed to identify myself as a Christian. I am a Christian. Looks like about every hand went up in the fellowship today. I looked in the dictionary, and this is what Webster's Dictionary says a Christian is. He said, a Christian is a person professing belief in Jesus as the Christ. A person professing belief in Jesus as the Christ. How many of you profess Jesus as Christ? And then he goes on. He said, a Christian is one who practices religion based on the teachings of Christ. How many of you practice your faith based on the teachings of Christ? Okay. So while that, I think, is a good starting point, like many other dictionary definitions, it comes quite short of what the Bible identifies a Christian as being. So what is a Christian? Well, let's look at what the Bible says. Acts chapter 11 and verse 26, we find these words. And the disciples were first called Christians in this town of Antioch. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, this was a name given to the followers of the way which they were originally identified as, followers of the way, they started to be called Christians at Antioch. Now, why did the unbelievers... This wasn't, a, this wasn't a term that they called themselves. Why did the unbelievers call the believers at Antioch Christians? Why did they do that? Because their behavior was like Christ. Their activities were like Christ. What they would and would not do was like Christ would or would not do. Their speech was like Christ. The word literally means to be like Christ. That's how they were identified by unbelievers. Now, if we take the strict sense of the word... I wonder how many of us are really Christians. Goes much farther than that dictionary definition. That our behavior is Christ-like. That the activities that we involve ourselves in are Christ-like activities. That our speech is Christ-like. Are we really Christians? In the biblical sense of the word, the word of God over and over and over again calls us to be like Christ, to be truly Christians. That is to be the pursuit of every single one of us. Let me give you just a few, just a sampling of some verses. John 13, 15, for I have given you an example 
that ye should do as I have done unto you. Matthew chapter 10, verse 25. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. Philippians 2, 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his dear son. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through verse 13. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastor teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come unto the unity of the faith, unto the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 1 John 2, 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. But we all with open faces beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even by the Spirit of our Lord. So last week we learned that what the Holy Spirit is up to in your life, what, is, what he is actively involved in is changing you into the image of Christ so you would live out a godly, sanctified life that would please the Lord and that would glorify the Lord. But there's more to living out a godly life than just pleasing the Lord and glorifying him. One of the main reasons, one of the most important reasons that we are to live a godly life is because of the influence that our life will have on others. Either drawing them to Christ or encouraging them to live for Christ. Let's talk first of all about drawing them to Christ. Living the kind of life that would draw people to the Savior. The Bible says having your conversation, the way you live your life, honest among the Gentiles or unbelievers, that whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. That visitation is when the Holy Spirit convicts them of their sin and their need of a Savior. Is your life, that salty life, that Jesus talked about, that creates a thirst in others for God? Is your life that light that Jesus spoke about that would draw men to the Savior? I'll never forget when we were in China visiting Aaron and Beth and we went to several house churches. And those house churches were scattered all throughout the um, Shanghai area. And we were able to involve ourselves in several of those while we were there. One of the pastors of one of those churches, I was talking with him because before they go into their services, they have a time of fellowship together and everyone comes and they share their food and they're all kind of packed into this house, call it house churches. And, and I asked him, I said, how do you evangelize? And he said, you know, the most effective, me he spoke English so we could communicate. He said, the most effective means of evangelism is we go out and we will encourage one or two unbelievers to come to our services every week. He said, and, and they just come and they join us and we have fellowship together and they sit down and they hear the word taught. And he said, after one or two services, they usually receive Christ as their Savior. After just one or two times. After just one or two times coming to that group of believers, they surrender their life to the Lord. 
I say, well, why is that? He said, because they see that we have something that they don't have. Exactly what he said. He said, you know, here in China, the fish are jumping into the boat. Well, wouldn't it be awesome if we're experiencing a time in our church when the fish are jumping into the boat? So what is it about our lives that is not attracting the loss to Christ? The Bible said we ought to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us of the reason of the hope that lieth within us. Could it be, could it be, church, that, that the world is not seeing that hope of Christ being lived out in and through our lives? Could it be that our life is not that godly draw to the Savior? It's something that I think we all need to answer for ourselves. The influence of a godly life drawing people to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Not only drawing people to Christ, but encouraging others to live for the Lord. Paul said, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Is the way you live your life, up here. We've all heard babies crying. Believe me, have I heard babies crying. Are we living our lives in such a way that those that we come in contact with are encouraged in their walk with the Lord simply by the influence of our personal lives? Molding and modeling Christian virtues, true virtues of spirituality, I believe is critical to the effectiveness of the church's ministry in this world. Stop and think about this. Without godly examples for us and others to look to, is there really any hope for our nation to turn to God? I want to say that again. Without godly examples for us and others to look to, is there really any hope of our nation turning to God? In Isaiah chapter 57 and 58, the prophet says these words. But the wicked are like the troubled sea. On the way here to church, my wife quoted a verse as we were thinking about what's going on in some individuals' lives. The way of the transgressor is what? But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith the Lord unto the wicked. Then he says to the believer, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, now listen, and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Not only speak it, but live it. If you don't live what you speak, there is no impact on others' lives. All of us, and especially our young people, need good examples all around them. People who not only profess faith in Christ, but people who possess Christ-likeness. 
spiritual qualities that we should emulate in our lives. I'm telling you, our youth have enough bad examples they don't need any more. They got enough bad examples in the world, and they got enough bad examples even within the church. They have enough carnal Christians to pattern their lives after. They need some real Christians that they can mirror their lives after. I don't think we can be true Christians in the sense of the word without realizing that God has called us to be examples of him to others. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister, Jesus said. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Be a minister for Christ. Amen? Be a minister for Christ. Live out a godly life. In this regards to being a good and positive role model for others to follow, there's a couple things that I want to say about this. First of all, being a good example is not an option. Paul did not say to Timothy, I want, to, I want you to know something, dear Timothy, my, my son in the faith, you have an option to be a good example of the believer. Is that what he said? He said, Timothy, be thou an example unto the believer. This is a command of Scripture. We have no choice but being an example. And the truth is, we're all examples of some kind. Amen? Are you still with me? We're all examples of some kind to those who are around us. Someone, someone is going to follow you. Someone is going to be influenced by you. No man lives unto himself, no man dies unto himself. This is clearly illustrated throughout life. I mean, you can go right down to children and see how children will influence one another. Um, we always have children, seemingly in our, I guess with 20 grandchildren, you're going to have grandchildren in your home quite often. And we quite often, if not most of the time, have grandchildren in our home. And uh, just a couple days ago, uh, Emma was there and uh, Nora was there. Now, Emma's how old? Emma's three, Nora's two. If you say, well, you should know how old your grandkids are. I have 20 grandkids. I have 10 children. I don't even know all my kids' names, <laughs> much less how old they are. But... Um, we, we turned on a movie for them to watch, and the movie they were watching was Cars. How many have ever seen the movie Cars? Okay. They were watching the movie Cars, and um, the Pierces had given us a um, we here about a year ago that they no longer used, and with that we came two steering wheels. And so this, you, you got to picture this, this movie Cars is on the TV, and Emma goes and she gets one of these wheels out and she goes she's just running around the living room I mean just you know what Nora did what do you think Nora did 
Nora went and got the other steering wheel and got right behind her sister, and they just kept going and going and going and going and going. Nora directly influenced her sister to follow in her steps. Can I tell you something? That is not only true for children. We see that all throughout life. And the truth of the matter is today, you are influencing someone's life or the Bible's not true. Either you are influencing them positively or you are influencing them negatively. You are a good example or you are a bad example. Either you are a good example and you're letting your light so shine or you are a bad example and you are causing others to stumble. It's one or the other. How many of you have ever seen the bumper sticker, Don't follow me, I'm lost too? Boy, if that's not the state of the world. But you know, that's also the state of some Christians, I'm sorry to say. You listen to me, young people. You be very careful who you are allowing to influence your life. Yesterday in our prayer time with our men, Larry brought up a prayer request of a young man who is addicted to drugs and has done so well for about six months but just had a terrible relapse. As we were praying for this young man, I said to all the men there, don't even go there. Young people, don't go there. Everyone who's ever gone there has been influenced by someone. We need Christians who will provide real, authentic, Christ-like living. Let's talk about church ministry for just a minute. I want our ministry to be effective, don't you? And usually when you think of effective church ministry, it's always equated as you're out there and you're studying and you're reading about how to have a more effective church ministry. It's usually equated with dynamic personalities. If you want to have an effective ministry, you have to have a dynamic preacher. You have to have talented individuals and gifted individuals in every area of ministry and they need to be well trained and they need to be enthusiastic and they need to be hard workers and they need to be charismatic and you need to have all these programs and, and you especially have to entertain people today. You have to do all of that in order to have an effective ministry. You know what? I can't find one of those things in the Bible. Not one! But the one thing I do find to have an effective ministry is to have spiritual character in the lives of your members. It has nothing to do with personal ability or programs. It has everything to do with living out a godly life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Paul said. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech, or of wisdom, 
declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Turn off the YouTube preachers. Get into the Word. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I'm here to tell you today, listen to your preacher, that's enough! That's enough! That's all we need is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself that I may have the preeminence in my church. He said, I was with you in weakness, fear, and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but it was in the demonstration of the Spirit and the power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is what it's about. Us living out the power of God in our lives through a commitment to holiness. Effective ministry is the character of Christ reproduced in and through our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. Christians, we have a responsibility. A tremendous responsibility to maintain a consistent Christ-like example. Other than the power of the written word. Quick and powerful. Other than the power of the written word of God itself. Nothing is more powerful. Nothing is more effective in promoting spiritual change in someone's life than a godly influence. Be a godly grandfather. Be a godly grandmother. Be a godly father. Be a godly mother. Be a godly teenager. Be godly. And God will use that example in a very powerful way. As we wrap things up here today, I want to share with you what I believe are three problems. Thank you, Sarah. Three problems that we face when it comes to being the godly example that the Lord has called us to. And these are things that are substantiated in Scripture, but they're also borne out through all my years of ministry. Number one is a lack of spiritual discipline. This is what we talked about last week. Not having the spiritual disciplines that are necessary to develop spiritual habits that will produce a godly life. Not being committed to the Word. Not reading your Bible, not meditating upon Scripture, not memorizing it and hiding it in your heart, not faithfully sitting under the teaching and preaching of the Word of God, just simply not having a commitment to the Bible itself. Not having a commitment to prayer. Not having a commitment to live by faith. Not having a commitment to be 
being an obedient Christian, not having a commitment to being spirit-filled, not having a commitment to uh, forgiving others and instead of becoming bitter and not having a commitment to give to the Lord and to others in need. You see, if we're not growing Christians, Christians who are being changed into the image of Christ, we're going to be very, very poor examples of others to follow. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. Let me tell you something. There's some people that you ought to say, you know what, I'm going to mark them. They are spirit-filled. They are godly Christians. I'm going to mark them, and I'm going to follow them in my life. So number one is not having spiritual disciplines that will lead to a godly life. Number two is hypocrisy. God's word has so much to say about hypocrisy. The words of Jesus, ye hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy unto you, saying, This people draw nigh unto me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is what? Far from me. In vain do they worship me. Thou hypocrite, cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and thou shalt see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. Jesus was always hitting the issue of hypocrisy, especially in the lives of the Pharisees. I came across this passage of Scripture. It's in Isaiah 32. Listen, listen closely. This is Isaiah talking about a hypocrite who has become a stumbling block. How many of you have ever heard someone say, I'm not going to the church, there's just too many hypocrites in it? I think we've all heard that which I usually respond when someone says that, well, we got, we got room for one more. <laughs> but it is sad. Listen to what Isaiah said in Isaiah 32. He said, he is a vile... This is a person who causes others to stumble. A person who's not been a good example. He said he is a vile person. Speaks wickedness. His heart works iniquity. He practices hypocrisy. He utters error against the Lord. For those who are hungry, this is, for those who are hungry and thirsty for God, he makes their soul empty. The hypocrite. For those who are hungry and thirsty for God, the hypocrite makes their soul empty. And he causes the desire of the thirst of the thirsty to fail. So here are people who are truly hungry and they're thirsty for the things of the Lord, but because of hypocrisy that they see in the professing Christian's life, it turns them completely away from the Lord and they lose their hunger and thirst. 
If our lives are not what we profess them to be, people will not follow us. They will not listen to us. They'll actually be repelled by us. Hello? Are you hearing what I'm saying? They'll be repelled by us. And it is a good chance that they will reject the Lord altogether, as we saw in that passage I just read. This is serious. Number three. So number one is that we do not have the spiritual disciplines that are necessary to develop godliness. Number two is that we're living a hypocritical life. You know, it could be we're living a hypocritical life because we're not saved. Having a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They profess that they know God, but in their works they deny him. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. The truth is not in him. So it's a good possibility that those who profess to be saved really are not saved. Or number three, it could be that they're just simply carnal. They have not developed the spiritual disciplines necessary to live a godly life. They are living a hypocritical life. And number three, they are carnal. They're worldly. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Just absolutely will not be subject to God's law. Now, I mentioned this last week. I've been asked several times in my years of ministry this question. Why are there so many carnal Christians? And last week I told you, I believe the answer to why there are so many carnal Christians is number one. They haven't developed the spiritual disciplines necessary that would lead to a godly life. But I also believe that the world and all the sinful pleasures that are in this world have a huge draw, have a huge attraction to Christians who are not in love with Jesus. That's why the Bible says, love not the what? You know why you love the world? Because you don't love Jesus. Love not the world. Sin has pleasure for a what? There's one thing that the old devil is good at, and that is drawing Christians' hearts away from their love and commitment to the Lord unto worldly things. He is a master at it. He is the great deceiver and the great tempter. 2 Timothy 4.10, you've heard this verse. Demas hath forsaken me, having what? Loved this present world. At one time, he was sold out to Christ. At one time, he surrendered. He walked the aisle at his church and gave his heart to missions. At one time, he joined up with the Apostle Paul in his missionary endeavors. But now he's no longer walking with God. He's no longer in church. He's no longer a missionary. He's what? He's in the world. Demas hath forsaken me, 
having loved this present world. The Christian life is all about who and what controls your heart. You've heard it said at the heart of every problem is a problem in the heart. That's why Solomon said, guard your heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Obviously, Demas had not guarded his heart. And he had allowed the things of this world to creep in. How much easier is Satan bringing the things of this world to us today? We are bombarded by the temptations of the world today. As never before. Where iniquity abounds, the love of many will what? That's cool. Where your treasure is, there will your... For the people's hearts are waxed gross, their ears have become dull of hearing, their eyes they have closed. Sad. Jesus often preached about the hardness of heart. Hebrews tells us on two different occasions, harden not your heart. I don't know if you've ever done a study on the heart in Scripture. But the Bible speaks of a lustful heart, an evil heart, a hardened heart, a doubtful heart, an unbelieving heart, a gross heart, a pricked heart, an uncircumcised heart, a foolish heart, a darkened heart, an impotent heart, a veiled heart, an erring heart, a troubled heart, a sorrowful heart, a heavy heart, a heart that is not right with God, and a heart that is far from God. The Bible also talks about a converted heart, a pure heart, a humble heart, a good heart, an understanding heart, a believing heart, a single heart, a burning heart, a passionate heart, a purposed heart, a steadfast heart, an open heart, a caring heart, obedient heart, a true heart, and a heart that desires to do God's will. As we close, what kind of heart do you have? Can I tell you something? God can do a heart transplant just like that. God can convert your heart and change it if you'd allow him to do so. There's a church in the Bible that was uh, the church at Ephesus that once was a very vibrant group of believers who were deeply in love with the Lord Jesus, but then the Bible said something happened to them. Can anyone tell me what happened to them? They left their what? First love. That love that they once had for Jesus, they left. You know, the Bible says men shall be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure, lovers of money, lovers of this present world. Church family, who do you love? What do you love? Why do you love it? If you're going to be an example that will impact and influence the lives of others, you need to fall in love with Jesus all over again. We love him because he first loved us. Don't love the world. Don't be conformed to it. Don't set your affections upon it. Don't be a friend of it. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world... I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and what? Godly.
in this present world. What kind of testimony are you today? What kind of example are you today? Grandpa, what kind of example are you to your grandchildren? Grandma, what kind of example are you to them? Dads, what kind of example are you to your children? Mom, what about you? College and career age, what kind of example are you to your peers? Teenagers, what kind of example are you to each other? Either you're a good example or you're not. But you are an example. Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.